toilet. Here we go. Welcome to We Talk Games, everybody. This is Arcade Weekly, our Arcade Weekly review show, where we review games from the Arcade Arcade Weekly Weekly with the We Talk Games Arcade Weekly show. I am Wiggly, your host, and today we're doing a little something special that Stinky the Game Master is forcing us to do. We're going to do our own We Talk Games version of What's My Line. Very popular with the kids there, Stinky. Hey, wait, you're always talking about uh, soupy sales and everybody. Okay, well, well, we'll give it a try. Today, we're going to have another video game industry co-host. Time now for everybody's favorite guessing game, What's My Line? In the studio, of course, Tinky, the Game Master, and also some other people on the panel of What's My Line today, and they're going to try to guess who our celebrity guest is or what he does. Who now invite you to play... What's my line? So let us begin our line of questioning. Everybody has their little flip cards in front of them. Four wrong answers and you win $100, celebrity guest. So why don't you start, Stinky, with your questions? Uh, okay. Are you Donald Trump? <laughs> Stinky, you're supposed to try to start building to the questions, so are, are, but whatever, are you Donald Trump? I am not Donald Trump. Very good. Next up is Kitty Car, I'm sorry, not Kitty Carlisle, uh, Titty Carlisle, TT, TT Schmookins, go right ahead. Hello, I am Titty Schmookins. Mystery guest, do you do something? I do do something. I believe that's correct, he does do something. <laughs> this is a really great idea there, Stink. Mystery guest, the something you do, does it have to do with video games? Uh, yes, I do. I, I figure I wouldn't be here if I didn't. But uh, <laughs> yes, you could say I'm something to do with video games. <laughs> Once again, great idea. <laughs> Stop to you, TT. I can't remember what the hell they do. I haven't watched the show since it was on. Are you good at a particular video game? Uh, I'm recognized as being good at a, a particular video game, yes. Yeah, I would, I would consider that also a true statement. Do you hold the world record in Missile Command? Yes, I do. Do you have any other questions there, TT? Are you Simon Garfunkel? No, I'm sorry, TT. We're going to have to turn all the cards over Shoot. and say you lose and, and give the $100 to Tony Temple. Tony Temple for joining us. Hello. Hello, great to have you here. Sorry for the shenanigans that open our show, but this is something that sometimes occurs on our program. And you are indeed the world record holder currently for Missile Command. Mm, yes, I am. Yeah, actually, uh, you probably tell by my accent, I'm not a U.S. resident. 
I guess in the world of arcade high scores, I guess that's fairly unusual. There aren't many of us outside of the US who are holding world records on 35-year-old video games, I guess. Right, because you have to submit it on beta instead of VHS. Yeah, I, and, I, and I guess it also, you know, before the um, before the wonderful world of the internet came along, I think many of us over here in Europe and elsewhere weren't really aware of that someone somewhere was tracking world high scores. Mm. Do you have a United Kingdom version of Walter Day? No, I don't think we do. I mean, the Guinness Book of Records obviously is a sort of UK-based company and, um, mm. and, and the book originated here in the UK. But in terms of somebody tracking world record high scores to the depth and detail that Walter's done since the early 80s. No, there was nothing like that over here. We had the occasional magazine that would print high scores, but I don't think it was any more scientific than somebody writing into a magazine and saying, I've just scored X points on a particular game. Right. Believe it or not, today we're going to be talking about the arcade game Missile Command. Well, that's lucky. Yes. And as is the tradition always on We Talk Games, we allow our industry celebrity co-host to pick the game. So I must ask you this question. When in the height heaven was not named, and the earth beneath did not bear a name, and the primeval Apsu, who begat them, and Chaos, Tiamut, the mother of them both, their waters were mingled together, and no field was formed, no marsh was to be seen, when of the gods none had been called into being, and none bore a name, and no destinies were ordained, then were created the gods in the midst of the heaven, Lamu and Lahamu were called into being, ages increased, then Ansar and Kisar were created, and over them long were the days when there came forth. Why, Missile Command? Yeah, that's a really good question, I think. What's interesting about Missile Command is it was born out of what was going on, I think, in the early 80s. So the whole construct of the game is, as you and your listeners probably know, is... um, thermonuclear warfare Mm. and the guy who wrote the game he was sitting in his office in Atari a guy called Dave Toyer and his boss came in with a newspaper clipping and he stuck it under Dave's nose and he said "Um, Dave I want you to write a game based on this article and then the article was about missiles and radars and you know the whole cold war thing going on with Russia Mm. Dave sort of you know has gone down as saying he immediately felt a sort of tingle up his spine And you can see why, really, because most games up to that point were either sort of simulations like, I don't know, you know, basketball or football, or they they were just straightforward imaginary shooters. So, you know, Defender, there's no real story behind Defender. You're just moving along a landscape with a ship, blowing the shit out of aliens. (laughs) Um, What I think is particularly appealing about Missile Command still to this day is the fact that it has that sort of underlying terror that as a 13-year-old kid I had in the early 80s, as I think probably many people of uh, my age, there was this whole unwritten, unspoken fear that someone somewhere was going to push the button and we were all going to be annihilated. And and I think in terms of why Missile Command, I think it really sort of addressed those fears and and I think it touched something in the sort of psyche of um, all of us teenage male arcade players back then. There is something about Missile Command that is different to the other popular arcade games of the day. You know, it wasn't a centipede. Mm. 
it wasn't a Defender, it wasn't a Crystal Castles. It was a great game in its own right, but underneath it and behind it, it was culturally, I think, far more significant than um, most of the other popular games of its day. should have had a thank you to Buckminster Fuller or something on it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. The other interesting quirk about Missile Command, which I think many people forget, is at its heart, it's essentially a defensive game. So Mm. Dave Toyer refused to be involved with a game that had a message of annihilating the planet or blowing people up or sending missiles over to Russia. It was about defending your city. It was about defending the planet against some unnamed foe from above. I think an interesting concept in terms of a gameplay mechanic, you're actually defending something rather than blowing shit up, which you would normally do on any other shooter of its time. Indeed. And speaking of nuclear war, jumping ahead just a bit, when that atomic bomb comes down, and I'm not sure that's what it's called, and it's it's nice to have someone that knows a lot more about games than I do on the program. (laughs) When that thing comes down and explodes a city, it's the same explosion as you see when you're blowing up missiles, but somehow when it's on the ground blowing up your city, it really is terrifying, a terrifying way. It does give you a little bit of chills. Oh, for sure. And as a 13-year-old kid, sitting there playing the game and having sweaty palms and the adrenaline pumping, I was saving the world, you know? Mm. In, in, in my mind, I was that guy, and I had my right hand on the trackball and my three buttons on my fire buttons on the left-hand side of the control panel. And I wasn't trying to get a frog across the road. I wasn't trundling along in a spaceship blowing up galaxies. I was saving the world. And when the game was designed, it was originally going to be called Armageddon. Mm -hmm. One of the features of the game which was pulled from it in the original code, they were going to give the operator the ability to locate the cities and actually name them. So... So depending on where the machine was located, whether it was on the east coast of America or indeed the west coast of America or in Europe, the cities were actually going to be named. And I think part of the reason that wasn't included was because it was complicated and most operators wouldn't be bothered to, you know, set the game up properly. They just threw it out in the arcade and waited for the money to roll in. But I think there was also this sort of underlying fear of it being too fearful to play. And the the reason they dropped the name Armageddon was partly because they thought no no one would, would knew what that word actually meant, but also because it was, you know... It it was too scary. There was a bit of sort of mind games going on there. So a lot of that sort of additional fear-inducing content was actually removed from the game to make it what it is now. If it was more uh, funny, like Battle from Mars or something, then that would be okay. But there's nothing funny about the title. Well, no, indeed. And I think it's one of those games where your mind fills in the blanks. Mm. Yeah, it has to. You know, so we're talking about saving the world i mean if you bought a game today on the playstation 4 which you know backstory was saving the world it would have high-end cgi graphics that it would be 60 frames per second you'd have a vr headset on mm. consumers today want to be immersed in these games but because of the technological limitations i think to be able to write a game like missile command and to induce that level of panic and fear in players and adrenaline and 
the genuine belief that they're doing something worthy like saving the planet or at some point in the game having to sacrifice one of their cities mm-hmm. because you've got two missiles coming down and only one missile to take one of those missiles out which one are you going to choose you have to sacrifice a planet to sort of build all those emotions i think in a player in a code what which you could probably fit on a floppy disk um you know i think was a remarkable achievement and i think a lot of these guys who wrote these games back in the early 80s you know deserve an enormous amount of praise because i just don't think people can do it today I get you. Yeah, Battlezone yep. was also released by Atari that year, but and that's a tank game where you're first-person perspective, and uh, and I think you know uh, pretty much about Battlezone as well because you have a very large collection that people even borrow from or, or use in their own things, and, of course, you are the arcade blogger. It's very difficult not to jump around, but Battlezone was also like a military thing, except you are more confined and you're more like protecting yourself. Uh, as opposed to protecting the world. Let me just set up the game for all all of the people that are three and five years old and babies (laughs) that listen to the show who don't know what Missile Command is like. You have a ball and, according to Atari, three switches. So there are three buttons that correspond to three missile launching bases on the screen. It's a single-screen game, and the ball will move a reticle around the screen, and there are missiles coming from above that will sometimes branch into multiple missiles, or scuds, I guess you could call them, uh, in modern terminology. Then there's also the occasional UFO, and for some reason, like a 747 is going by, and I always felt bad. I was like, am I supposed to shoot the airplane? Because I don't think that airplane's doing anything bad. (laughs) So I I was always reluctant to shoot the airplane, but there's an airplane for extra points, and then there's uh, UFOs and... uh, other types of things and one thing that i mentioned was there's a small package that is uh, glowing you can imagine it being completely radioactive and to me that's like an atomic bomb that comes down and does indeed give a horrific explosion and the trick about missile command is to put your reticle in front of the missiles and try to estimate their trajectory um trajectory trajectory Yeah, well, they project to the trajectory, their trajectory, so that the explosion of your missile makes a a larger circular explosion, and then the missiles are stopped from exploding your city, and you have six cities. And uh, once your cities are all destroyed, uh, then uh, then it's game over for you, and uh, your bases could also get knocked out where you're launching the missiles from, but fortunately they come back at the next round, and you only have a limited number of missiles per three switches per three missile bases. That's it, right? Yeah, pretty much. It, it's You're defending a coastline along the bottom of the screen. And in very simple terms, there are missiles coming down from the top of the screen. And your job is to stop them from blowing everything up at the bottom of the screen. And you have to intercept those missiles with your own missiles, essentially. The one thing about this game you will notice is that uh, once you start bringing in the pinks, uh, I sort of wanted my cities to be destroyed. This game does not feature a lot of colors because of the limitation of the cabinet. It's 1980. And plus, it's pretty complicated in its simplicity. It's simple, but yet there's a lot of interesting and uh, one-of-a-kind elements that are going on. And Namco had Rally X at that time, which was graphically beautiful, but 
it didn't have the same complexity as what's going on in Missile Command. Uh, what else did we get that year? Uh, Star Castle, um, Space Panic, and mm-hmm. uh, um, oh, the Deco Cassette system came out by Dad East, which I, I'm a big fan of the Deco Cassette system. Okay. And of course, Pac Man, which we had Pac Month, and now we have. Um, nothing month, which is good. So then we can have special industry co-hosts on. Tony, one thing I don't know is, does Missile Command have a pattern? I was always interested in that. Mm, um, no. And, you know, I think, again, at least for me, what keeps the game fresh and interesting is the fact that there are no patterns to learn. Okay. Every game is different. The missiles don't follow the same path. It's completely randomly generated. There's a pattern in that there are wave after wave, so everything resets at the end of a particular wave. But when you're playing the individual waves, you are presented with a scenario and you have to deal with it. That's great, because I never knew that. I was like, can you lead where the missiles are supposed to be coming from at the top of the screen? No. Uh, yeah, and that's really yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, it's all about an- anticipation. And, you know, I think it plays into that Atari mantra, which is it's a game that's very simple to learn but very, very difficult to master. Indeed. On our show, we call that a pure arcade game, even though other games are obviously arcade games. This is a pure arcade game where you don't mind starting over from the beginning. It has something that hooks you in, uh, you understand it, but it remains fresh no matter how many times you play it. I mean, you might play it 10 times and you're like, okay, that's enough of this for now, but uh, you yep. later come back to it. So that's Absolutely. Where, yeah. And I think as well, it, it's probably worth talking about the complexity. And we're not just looking there at, at the complexity of the game, because there's a lot of subtle things about Missile Command that you learn the more you play it. But also the control panel. And what I found and what many people say to me is there's just too much to do. So Space Invaders, Galaxian, you, you have a joystick, mm-hmm. you can move left and right and you have a fire button. Or Donkey Kong, you have left, right, and a jump button. It's sort of fairly easy to work out what's going on. Whereas Missile Command, it, I think especially with the trackball, what the trackball represents is a very early analog controller. Sure. So much like a PlayStation controller now or an Xbox controller, you have the analog thumbsticks where you can apply different speeds by the further you move the analog controller with your thumb and you, and you can look around faster or you can spin around quickly or and the trackball very similar to a mouse on a pc mm-hmm. the faster you move it the faster your cursor will move around on the screen and, and that's essentially what missile command is all about plus you've got three fire buttons never mind one fire button you've got three so a lot of people would look at that and go oh my God, that's just kind of blown my mind. But very much like Defender, you think about the number of buttons and the number of things you've got to think about when you play a Defender arcade machine. I think that added complexity, I think as well, sort of threw in the whole sort of, pa- added to the to the sense of panic when you're playing the game. These missiles are getting faster. I've got to control this trackball. I've got to work out which of my three fire buttons I've got to use. It's like a big sort of soup of stuff that you stir up and what, what sort of, filters out over the bottom is this great game missile command it's a sort of x factor of the controls the look and feel of the cabinet what was going on in the world at the time and also obviously the sort of skill of the uh, coder to pull a game out of such a small amount of code i did mention the pink <laughs> and you know what i'm talking about because you're a high score holder <laughs> there is a 
color palette swap that's going on because of the limitations of being able to add different colors or color to the train or whatever. But the cities are very well defined, I think. I think everything's very well defined on the screen. But what will happen is every level, to distinguish it from the previous, the colors of the towns, the colors of the sky, the colors of the ground, and the mm-hmm. colors of the plane, they'll, they'll all swap colors. And at some points, you get the most um, egregious disco uh, color combinations that that are so offensive. I wonder why the programmer didn't stick with a basic color scheme for all levels and just put a round one, a round two. But I guess that's something we can't answer. No, I guess not. And and um, I'm with you. I would love the game to always have the black background and the red missiles. And you get it would be about ten screens of essentially a black background. And then you get blue, then you get light blue, then you get a purple, then you get a yellow, then you get the offensive pink, which <laughs> as I think you've described is I think it's probably more of a lilac. Mm-hmm. And then it goes sort of shocking red, and then it goes back to the uh, black screen. So when you're playing at a higher level and, and you're playing this game for one, two, three hours continuously, when you get through the colors, and you go back to black, it it is actually psychologically something of a relief Mm. because your eyes can be calm and and you know they're not going to have to adjust. And if the light, I mean, I remember as a kid playing in the 80s, if you you played a machine that was next to a window, you were screwed because once those colored screens appeared, you couldn't see what the hell was going on on the screen because the sun would be beating down on this old CRT. Mm-hmm. And you'd have a shocking lilac background and purple missiles and you'd be going, well, I can't see anything, you know. I mean, it could have been deliberate to add another string of complication to this impossible job you've got of saving the world and you know it's going to throw something else at you and here's another color you know deal with that you know it's (laughs) it's, i mean i'm quite sure it was deliberate i'm quite sure it wasn't an accident but yeah the changing colors sort of add to the overall art package of missile command and i think in terms of the artwork of the game in terms of pictures of the missile the art that's on the side of the Mm, cabinet mm mm-hmm the advertising flyers which your listeners can see all over the web i think the colors just sort of add to that overall palette of brash 80s it just screamed play me and i think for anybody watching the game it was another target to get to so you know the previous player might have got to the the yellow screens before he wiped out and so the next guy thinks well if i can get past the yellow i wonder what the next color is going to be so Oh, you know, I think there's also an element of um, demonstrating progression that you're actually progressing in this game. You're not just seeing a repeat of the same screen there every time. I guess that was a pretty stupid question. The more I think about it, but I just couldn't get over the pink; it hurt. <laughs> so I'm I'm just trying to share my pain. Uh, uh, we usually only talk about arcade games, but because you did bring it, because I brought up the changing color palettes and how nice the cities were defined and how nice the missile bases were defined. It brought to mind one of my favorite status systems, the Atari Jaguar, which did have a Missile Command 3D. And you had mentioned about 3D games and polygon games and and, and VR headsets and things like that. Right. And the Missile Command for that had a VR. Uh, it, had, it had original 3D and VR, which... 3D and VR, ridiculous to have two different ones with different names like that. 
one should have been called underwater and the other one should have been called blocks. But the original version on that didn't even have the quality, the fidelity of the original arcade machine. It didn't have the missiles. <laughs> it had some cities, but it didn't have your little missile launching areas. They were just hills. So uh, I find it funny that that occurred. And if you ever want to see uh, the Atari Jaguar version of uh, Missile Command 3D, I, well, I, 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 I sor- I'm sorry for you, uh, as far as well as Defender 2000 or 3D or whatever they called that one. But of course, Tempest, Tempest 2000 is just you know, unbelievable. But I did want to ask, besides the arcade version, have there been iterations of Missile Command that you enjoyed? like Game Boy or PlayStation or something like that? This is a bit of a sort of bugbear of mine. Mm. They never got it right. Mm -hmm. And every version of Missile Command other than the arcade. And, you know, I guess I suppose you could say, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? Because, you know, you're a fan of the arcade game. But as you rightly pointed out, the promise of Jaguars do the math graphics. (laughs) And, you know, when I heard Missile Command was coming out for the Jaguar, I trotted off to the um, my local shop and I and I bought it, and I was as disappointed as you clearly were. <laughs> it's, I think this is the thing about the early arcade games is there's only so far you you can beat the horse, and every time I see a missile command shot glass or news that there's going to be a missile command movie, I just, I just a little bit of me dies inside because missile command and i think most of its contemporary games uh, they were very much of their time and when you try and fill in the blanks which we talked about earlier about the level of imagination you had to have when you were playing missile command and you were able to fill in the blanks in your own mind you know much like the alien movie it isn't so much what you saw it was what you didn't see Mm -hmm. which made that movie what it is and i think it's exactly the same with missile command and i think when you try to turn a game like Missile Command into something beautiful with textured graphics and, you know, trees in between the cities and some sort of pseudo 3D VR addition to it, I just don't think it works. I mean, it may have worked had you not seen Missile Command 20 years previously, but Mm -hmm. um, it's never worked. Missile Command particularly, anything other than playing Missile Command on an original Missile Command cabinet is simply not the same game. You can get away with it with something like Galaxian or Defender because it's left, right, up, down, and a couple of buttons. And Donkey Kong, you know, we can all play Donkey Kong on on MAME and get a fair approximation of what the game was about. With Missile Command, and I think particularly with reference to its trackball, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to accurately replicate that. Trackball games definitely need to be played with a trackball. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, trying to play Missile Command on a Game Boy, for me anyway, it just doesn't work. It, yeah, it's it, sort of like trying to play Pong without a shuttle wheel. Right, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it was so difficult because with the sort of timeline of the game, I mean, I played the game from 1982, I don't know, 1983, 84, something like that, over a sort of three-year period, and I got pretty good at it as a kid. And then, of course, it disappeared along with all the other arcade machines, and they were all taken away around the back and shot dead because mm-hmm. nobody was putting money in them anymore. The operators didn't stop to think, well, these things might be culturally significant in 30 years' time, so I'm going to put all these in storage and, and pull them out and sell them on eBay in mm-hmm. 30 years' time. They were all destroyed. And so there was this sort of barren period of arcade gaming, for me anyway, between 1984 and 2005 when I discovered eBay and discovered that 
blimey, you know, you can buy these old arcade games again. And I think within that sort of 20-year period, all I wanted to do was play Missile Command. And so I was the idiot who went out and bought the 3D version on the Jaguar and was horrifically disappointed that it was nothing like the arcade game. It was an interesting time because I really wanted to play Missile Command, but there were just no machines around and the console versions of them, you know, for, for me anyway, just didn't cut the mustard. Three quick things. One, I wanted to mention that, of course, we don't blame the programmer of the Atari Jaguar version because, uh, from what I understand, you had to build your own operating system. You had to write the code for your own operating system on the Jaguar anytime you wanted to make a game because it didn't come oh. on its own. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like things like the 3DO did and the other game systems. Uh, two, I want to give praises to the NES or the Famicom for when they released uh, Arkanoid, they released the Arkanoid spinner, spinner knob controller with it. So there you had a gameplay that was very close to the arcade. And the third thing was something I completely forgot about, except I'll go with this. Have you ever seen the Ben Cooper Halloween costume of Missile Command? Because I have it, and it's one of my favorite costumes because of the fact, how do you dress up like Missile Command? I, you know, I have no idea who... Did you say Ben Cooper? I have no idea who he is, but I think I know what you're referring to. I think I've seen one on um, eBay. Mm-hmm. It's like a sort of helmet thing, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it's a man's face with the helmet. And then the plastic uh, Halloween costume has uh, Missile Command written on it and the three missiles shooting out from the middle. (laughs) Yeah, does it still fit? Oh, none of my Ben Coopers fit, unfortunately. And and I try to get girlfriends that can fit in these things because I I have a large uh, Ben Cooper collection. And it just doesn't work. We're in another direction now. (laughs) We are. We are, yes. Yeah, we don't want to go there. I try to even have my friend's kids try to see if they could fit into some of these because it would just be awesome. But Yeah, I would love to find one. Yeah, that, that, that would be a great thing to own. It was actually the first Halloween costume that I bought as sort of like a collectible thing, even though I wasn't collecting it. And this is what I like about a lot of toys and things like that is how people interpret what a character might look like or what something that really doesn't have anything to do with the product you're making how they interpret that and so when i saw on the side that said missile command you know size small or whatever i was like i cannot wait to look through the cellophane on the top of this box to see what (laughs) is going to be there and indeed it was just a a guy with this maybe like a star wars inspired uh very bland white helmet The saddest thing about Ben Coopers, and I'll tell you this, is that most of us in America in the early 70s, late 60s, we wore Ben Cooper costumes. And they were, you know, the terrible ones with the holes in the eyeballs and the rubber band on the back of the mask and things like that. But we always felt so sorry for the poor kid that had to wear the Ben Cooper poncho. They they would make a poncho that would have like a picture of Darth Vader on the poncho. Right. And it's made out of plastic. And then you would just wear like a Halloween masquerade mask, like the Lone Ranger type of mask. And that's all right. you would have with a pitcher on your <laughs> your rain poncho. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was only like a dollar less. <laughs> but it was always for that poor kid that, that his parents wouldn't spend that extra dollar for, right. for the bionic man with his glowing eye and things like this. Yeah. What started you into collecting these arcade systems? I guess it all started with 
With Missile Command, I mean, I, I had this sort of distant memory of playing Missile Command when I was a kid. And then, as I mentioned earlier, they all disappeared. Mm-hmm. It was early 2000s when um, the internet really sort of started becoming part of our lives. And obviously, like everyone else, I discovered eBay. And, you know, lo and behold, people were selling old arcade machines. And I thought to myself, you know, I I wonder if I could find a Missile Command. And sure enough, I did. And as anybody who collects arcade machines or repairs them will will tell you, you know, one is never enough. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes two and then it becomes three. And then they invade your house and then your wife falls out with you. And then you start filling up the garage and the shed. And then you think, I really need a separate room from arcade. So... I'm not too bad. My total collection at the moment is nine. Some of those are in the garage in a state of disrepair, but I'm fortunate enough to have a dedicated arcade room now up in the uh, loft. Do you guys say loft or do you say eaves? I don't know. But right up in the sort of top of the house in the roof. So um, they're out of the way. They're no longer in the lounge. My wife is no longer hoovering around them with the vacuum cleaner. And um, I'm sort of back in her good books now because, you know, (laughs) when we have guests around, you you no longer have to throw a blanket over the arcade machines in the corner. You can just close the door and they're gone and no one needs to see them. So it sort of started in um, 2005. I started playing Missile Command again. I then started making trips to the US, particularly New Hampshire to the Funspot Arcade where I would go to the Twin Galaxy sanctioned tournaments and, and, and sort of you know play there and show what I could do live and then your mind sort of broadens and, and it's sort of interesting looking back at the 80s as an adult because at the time you know they were just arcade machines and you were a kid and you were into them and you just played them sort of looking back now as an adult you start to realise just how much they penetrated popular culture and Pac-Man lunchboxes and Missile Command scratch cards and all that kind of stuff. And it's also interesting being an Englishman with the, uh, you know, arrival of YouTube to be able to watch these old news reports of CBS News standing in Times Square in New York and and, then talking to people about these newfangled arcade machines. And it was, you know, the electronic future and everything was space age and it was all bleeps and bloops and pixels and it's sort of fascinating to look back as an adult to see what the adults were thinking of this new thing that all of us kids were playing and no more so than um, what was going on in the US you know walking into a 7-Eleven and finding Mm. arcade machines in the corner I mean that's just kind of blows my mind I mean over here obviously we we had arcade games but you would go to an arcade to play an arcade game you wouldn't walk into a laundromat and find a pinball machine in a laundromat it wasn't quite that deep over here we we still have that in my town we still have always has at least two arcade games in it um i don't recall if i've ever seen a pinball as i drove by but uh, and you also visit the pinball museum as well yeah yeah so i sort of spread my wings from new hampshire and um i try to get over every year uh, myself and a couple of friends try and make it an annual trip and we've um started sort of branching out down to florida to go to the free play florida event which happens in orlando around november time so we tend to sort of fly into boston do some stuff up there and then jump on a jet blue and fly down to orlando and then put our shorts on and um, have a bit of fun down there but yeah i'm um, down in florida there's the silver ball pinball museum which we visited for the first time last year absolutely fabulous place and i think if you're into these things to be able to go to these arcade expos where you're able to just walk in through the door and think of a game and the chances are it's going to be there um because over here there's very very few places you can go to play a collection of of classic arcade machines now 
So the draw of the US for me is sort of very much the opportunity to um, play games that I may have never seen as a kid. It's sort of grown from having this sort of affinity with the game Missile Command that sort of haunted me as a kid to start playing that again and then to sort of spider out and start learning about some of Atari's other titles that I may have not come across when I was a kid and then that then spiders out to Century games or Namco games or uh, Bally games or Midway games and then Pinball and you then realise that I'm never going to own every game that I want to own but that's what it's all about I think Mm -hmm. if you speak to most arcade collectors it isn't so much about the collection you have it's about the machines you don't have and the thrill of the chase and the hunt to try and track down a Tron arcade machine for example which very very difficult to find over here so sort of getting a lead on well maybe there's some i've heard some guy who's got a grandfather who's died and there might be a tron machine in his basement it's the sort of thrill of finding that and pulling it out of storage and and you know repairing it and getting it working again one stat here from 1980 in the united states arcade game market 2.81 billion dollars in revenue for the year of 1980 in the usa arcade market which would be equivalent to around 8.17 billion dollars today that's crazy isn't it yeah it is for such there were a lot of games i guess you could say but this was still a time in the arcade where you might have two or three of the same machine right so it wasn't necessarily all different uh uh, games in one in one arcade spaceport or things like that that we called Mm -hmm. them and not to get you hooked on more types of arcadey things but i was just told that in san francisco about the musee mechanique which is over 300 electromechanical machines games and just regular machine uh, machines where you might see a clown dance or something like that well, but they're all a quarter and all fully repaired that sounds great absolutely yeah. fabulous I, um, west coast i've yet to experience but there's a lot going on in LA and California and obviously being the uh, home of Atari Mm -hmm. definitely got plans to get over to that side of your country one day well if you ever decide to go there and you happen to be in the east coast I'll fly to San Francisco with you because you mentioned you were 13 when you played Missile Command I was born in 1966 so I played a lot of electromechanicals and especially the helicopter games were my favorites so Wow, okay. You're on. It's a deal. All right. I hope so. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do want to know, uh, you recently, I think recently, because I was reading your blog, but you had a 26-button game that you're trying to restore. Oh, the, uh, yeah, yeah. That wasn't my game. That was a game called Sundance. That's it, Sundance. Yeah, yeah. So on my blog, um, arcadeblogger.com, what I try to do is is rather than... (laughs) talk about me which wouldn't take very long and it wouldn't be much of a blog if i did that um i sort of try to dig out the more interesting tales and, and just stuff that goes on in this hobby that um only people within the hobby would get to know about and yet if, if you look at some of these stories i sort of think do you know what there are people who would be interested in this stuff not because they're into vector arcade games from 1981 but just because the story behind how these guys find these machines in 2016 there's just something interesting about it like opening an old tomb underneath an egyptian pyramid i mean that's that's you know newsworthy it's it's kind of interesting and the game you refer to um sundance it was a very very rare title by uh, a company called century who were based in florida 
and it was released in very limited numbers and it was so poorly built that when it was being delivered to arcades it was arriving broken right. so the, the, you know it would be unloaded from the truck wheeled onto the arcade floor the operator would plug it in and be presented with a blank screen because the parts were so fragile they, they were actually breaking before they were even even switched on and so to unearth one of these machines this um, Sundance machine was a very rare occurrence and how that was found which you can read about on the blog it was discovered in a in an abandoned building completely by chance someone stumbled across some pictures that somebody else took of this abandoned building which they thought would be interesting and they spotted in the corner it's like is that a Sundance machine you know I think it is you know and then there was all sorts of detective work done on a collector's forum about where might this building be and somebody found it and just went there and took the machine wow and what then followed was was a whole huge explosive classic internet argument of some people saying, well, it wasn't your property. You shouldn't have gone in there. You shouldn't have taken that cabinet away. Another guy saying, well, screw that. If I see something rare that's in a knackered old abandoned building full of evidence of drug use, I'm just going to go in and rescue that game. I think you did the right thing. And yeah, this whole moral debate was going on as to whether this guy should have removed this cabinet from an, this abandoned building. And who was the owner? And people were trying to find the owner to try and do it properly by asking the owner, can I buy this machine from you? The owner, it seems, was a bit of a shady character who was unobtainium. Nobody could find this guy. So there's these really interesting human stories. So my blog, I hope, isn't particularly technical about the inner workings of something like a Sundance machine, because I think the market for that is going to be extremely limited. But what I try to do is to sort of pull out some of these human stories behind things like Missile Command, you know, without wanting to get technical about restoring Missile Command or how you repair a PCB. It's, well, yeah, you know, so what? It's the underlying sort of human story behind some of these machines and some of these machines that are found in unusual places and how people get to hear about them. But those are the stories I'm sort of trying to tell. Indeed. Now's the time of the show where only I do this part of the show, actually. And it's a part of the show called Cool... Oh, Kyle. <laughs> or Racist. Mr. Go right Cool. Yeah. And now's the time, and now's another time of the show where we do the one sentence review. If you can review Missile Command using only one sentence, what would that one sentence be, Tony? The fate of the world is literally in your hands. Mmm. Very good, very good. That would be my one-sentence review. Here's my one-sentence review. That wasn't part of my one-sentence review. Move your reticle to protect all the town's people. Unless the sky is pink, then fuck them. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. I think that's fair. Tony Temple, where can they find you again? 
you, you can find me on you where can you find you can find me everywhere but you know the usual places but um if you want to uh, read my inane ramblings about arcade machines you can find me at www.arcadeblogger.com i'll tell you it's great reading it's done very very well and each lead to each story makes you want to read that story and i'm not just saying that because you're on the show i say it behind your back too you also have of course the twitter and you have uh, you do a lot of things on youtube i guess uh, what type of videos uh, are on youtube i am very happy to correct you and say i have yet to enter the wonderful world of youtube there's a oh. few things of, of me there are a few things of me on youtube um so Actually, relevant to this conversation, I did a talk a couple of years ago at a uh, gaming expo over here in the UK where I talked about Missile Command and I talked about the development of the game and what it meant to me and who my contemporaries are in terms of, you know, good, skilled Missile Command players. If you want to find out a little bit more about the background of Missile Command outside of what you've heard here, then uh, just go to YouTube and if you punch in Tony Temple Missile Command, command you'll find it there somewhere and there's some some gameplay footage and sort of bits and pieces yeah i should have rephrased that as videos of you on youtube and also uh don't just youtube tony temple because you'll get a football guy or something american football by the way screw that guy do you know (laughs) what's wrong with him yeah, I, I went to buy TonyTemple.com and they want like $10,000 of it oh. because because of some... Is he an American football player, I think, isn't he? That's what I sure. think. Yeah. Tony Temple, the American football player. You know, American football, where you, you use your foot once. <laughs> right, absolutely, yeah. If I'd have owned that domain, I'd be worth a few pounds now, wouldn't I? You would. Sell. But I don't, sadly. So. Well, thank you so very much for being our arcade industry co-host it's been a delight talking with you getting all serious where i'm normally uh, completely goofy about the reality of what can be said through the use of a video game because i think we don't explore that enough we always talk about the artistry of video games but we really don't talk about a lot of meaning coming through well we did on uh, one of our titles that sort of had you escaping from Russia. Oh, no, being evicted from Russia. That's what it was. But it was very subtle in its presentation. But, yeah, we never really talk about the deeper meanings that could be put across through video games. So this was a very interesting interview. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm uh, delighted I was able to tame the craziness <laughs> you of, did. Your, of your podcast. You did what <laughs> Kyle could not do. Kyle always tries to wrangle me in, and you have successfully done that. Yes. Well, thanks for everybody for listening. I hope you like us. Bye-bye. <laughs>